Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. To finish off this series, we're going to look at the church and what the church is about. And so these are the questions that I plan to answer today. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? How connected should I be to church? What does the church actually do? And I think all of those are completely reasonable questions. So why don't we pray and then we can get straight into today. Father, we thank you so much that you're here. God, we believe that every person that's sitting in this seat, in these seats right now is not here by accident. Some of us are new. Some of us, it might be our very first time. And God, sometimes we think that sitting in these seats is a random occurrence. But God, I believe that right now we're here because you want us to be here. I believe that we're uh, here getting ready to hear a message. And I pray, God, that your spirit would come this morning and that you'd open our hearts and that you'd open our, our, our eyes and our ears and you'd just speak straight to us. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The word church first appears in the New Testament. If you look in the Old Testament, you won't find the word church. And the first person that uses the word church is Jesus. And he uses it in this context where he's having a conversation with Peter. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus is the first person to use the word church. What does that even mean? What does it mean when he says that he will build his church? In 313 AD, Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity. Up until that point, Christianity was illegal because people were calling Jesus their king and their God. And the emperor had great issues with that. But Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity. And the moment that he did that, Christianity was universally accepted throughout the Roman Empire. And what began to happen is they would build and construct something that they would call basilias. And these were buildings that they had, and they would build them everywhere. Well, when they were translating, because of that influence, when they were translating the Bible from the Latin Vulgate into German, they, with this influence of basilia, they translated the word for church in, from the Greek, they translated that into a word called kirsch. And the word kirsch actually means house of the Lord. And it refers to a physical place, like a building. And that's the perception that people have today. I don't know if people would have spoken about church the same way that we do today, back when Jesus was alive, I don't, or, or, or even after that. I don't know if they would have spoken about it the same way. When we say, I am going to church, we're often talking about a geographical location and a building. And I can understand the confusion because the words that have been translated and with some of the influences in those translations have led people to think that the church is just a building, when in fact it is not. The church... The word for church in the original Greek language, as many of you would probably know, is the word ecclesia. And it's a purposeful gathering of God's people. Now, interestingly, you can lock a kirsch because it's a building, but you cannot lock the church. You cannot lock up the church. There's no doors to the church. The church is people. And right now, God's church has gathered together together. 
But then, you know, that tomorrow, and, you know, if, if I let you out on time today, um, unlike last week, if I let you out on time today, the church is going to disperse, and we're going to be go back to our jobs and our houses and everywhere, but we're still the church, aren't we? Because that's what the church is. It's a group of people. I find the church very interesting. The church is in some ways highly visible. Like right now, we would say that we are at church and we can see that. I can see a group of people in front of me. We're found at a geographical location. Everything about where we are says that we are church. And yet there are invisible parts to the church as well. Just think about this for one minute. If I stand by myself, am I the church? No, I don't know if I can be the church just by myself. That's interesting. Or what if it's just me and Sarah? Are we the church? Ah, two's probably not enough. All right, well, hang on. What if there were 10 of us? Are we a church? Ah, uh, maybe. Well, hang on. How many people do we really need before we can start calling ourselves a church? What, what, what is a church? It's interesting. As you add people, something spiritual happens. The church begins to emerge as people gather together. There's a gathering of people. It's in some ways visible, in some ways it's, it's invisible, but somewhere along the way we become a church. And by the way, the difference between a crowd and a church is the condition of your heart. Do you know that 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 says, God knows who his are? In other words, speaking of the gathered assembly, right now God's looking at it, he goes, okay, you're part of the church, you're part of the church, you, you're on your journey to be part of the church, you might not be there yet, but God knows who his are. And the, how, how does he know that? He knows because of your heart. He knows because of what you said, the way that you live your life. He can look beyond what we can see. Sometimes, you know, you think people are somewhere and if you were to look behind the veil and see their heart, you discover that they're not exactly where you thought that they were. That's the problem that we have. God doesn't have that problem. He can look behind the veil. He sees the conditions of people's heart. The church is a really interesting thing. When we say the church, in some ways we're, we're referring to it universally. So when I say the church of Jesus Christ, let's say we're considering every church, every denomination, uh, you know, and we gathered together around the Great Commission. There will be certain things that we would ascribed to as a church. So a church is in some sense universal and we are part of that. But then the church is also local. There is a local church filled with people from around that region and area and that's the church too. Interestingly, the church is trans-dimensional because if you look at really what the church is about, it's all the people, the gathering of God's people and the gathering of his community, which is kind of interesting because it includes angels. So now the church is universal. It's visible. It's invisible. It's local. It's transdimensional. Let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus has died for your sins and you've said the prayer and you have a relationship with Jesus, when you die, do you cease to be part of the church? No. You move from this world into the next. And so you're still part of God's church. You're still part of his gathered assembly. And so the church is a really interesting thing. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 12. It says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that's marked before us. See, most, one of the most unique scriptures you'll ever find in the Bible. If you 
research and look at what that means. That cloud of witnesses are the saints who have passed on and moved from this life to the next. And if you read what commentators say about that passage, they say it is written in such a way that it is as if the saints that have passed from this world to the next have filled the grandstands and they're looking in on present day people who are the church and they are cheering us on and they're saying, we did what we could do in our time. Now it's your turn. Run the race that's marked before you. Live a life well. Do your best. Do everything that you can to be the church in your time. The cloud of witnesses, it's, think about it like a glass-bottom boat. They're looking in on what we're doing. It's the most unique scripture. I never really thought about the saints of the past looking in on what we're doing. But let's remember that heaven is not in the clouds. Heaven is all around us. It's actually another dimension. There are things that we can't see. Sometimes and every now and then, uh, uh, God unveils those things to us and we can see them. It's not necessarily just up in the sky somewhere. That's not where heaven actually is. The church is called a family. I Personally, I quite like that one. I love that, actually. I love being part of a church family and seeing people that I know. And, you know, when you walk into church, I, I, I want to high-five people and see how their week has been and take an interest in their life. I I love that. The church is called a family. It's called the bride of Christ. Branches of the vine, olive tree, harvest, building, the new temple. There's so many names for church. It's a really interesting thing, the church, isn't it? You know, I looked up on Facebook recently and I saw some photos of, and I've seen this multiple times by multiple people that take a photo while they're having a wonderful time with their family. And they say this little phrase and they say, this is my church. And when I see that, I never comment. I don't want to be rude, but I think, oh, that's cute that you call that your church. But you can't just go ahead and say that my family is my church because well, actually, if you want to be a church, there are specific requirements in order to be a church. And Paul the Apostle wrote letters to Timothy and to Titus. And he said, I want you to go and start to plant churches everywhere. And then he would give them specific advice. Think about the letters that he wrote. The letters that Paul wrote were two churches. But he also explained how to construct churches. How do you build a church? What should be in a church? When does it cease to be just a few people and become a church? There are some things that we should do. And so there's a scripture that I want to read to you guys today. If you guys could bring that up. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Now, there's lots of scriptures in the Bible about church. I just thought this was the, one of the most concise and best examples of what a church should have. So what's a church? Well, this is what Paul said. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have that was, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So that all may see your progress. To be a church, I think a church requires specific things. The first thing that this says is that there should be the public reading of Scripture. So let me go ahead and lay this out for you. As I've said in recent weeks, I think that what I'm holding is the most unbelievable 
piece of literature that you will ever see anywhere on planet Earth. This, what I hold in my hand, is the Word of God. I believe, and it's my position, that this is infallible. In other words, I'm saying that there are no mistakes in here. Now, interestingly, it's full of stories about people that made mistakes, and those encourage me greatly. But <laughs> you can use the foolish to shame the wise, one of my favorite verses. But I believe that what's in here is meant to be in here because it's my position that the Holy Spirit oversaw the piecing together of this book. So because of that, I believe that this is the Word of God. And I know that today, look, the thing is, there are so many great preachers around. There are so many people that can preach a great word and get excited and get passionate. Boy, we were at the conference yesterday. The only word I could describe that is Pentecostal, all right? It was, I've never stood up so many times in one message, right? But we had fun and it was great and we were excited and we loved it, you know? But if the preaching of the Word ever starts to move away from the Word, I think we've got a serious problem on our hands. I think that no matter how gifted a speaker you are, if you can't take this and explain this to people and preach this to people, and if you start to migrate from this book, we are in serious trouble. The truth is, is that we need to teach sound doctrine. Paul says that in Titus 2.1. You need to teach sound doctrine, which is our belief and our understanding about God. And I can tell you that certainly, at least for this church, it is gospel-centric. In other words, we believe that the Old Testament, it points to the person of Jesus. The New Testament is what happened after Jesus's life. He is the center of the Bible, his completed work, everything that he's done. This is a church that receives Jesus Christ as king. And I think that if you ever find yourself in a church where they don't acknowledge Jesus as king, Lord, savior, as God, as fully God, then you found yourself in a church that has moved away from what the Bible teaches. And I'm saying to you that that is one of the requirements. If you find yourself in that church, I would leave because you can't stay because this is what you need to be a church. That sounded really harsh. Didn't mean to come out that way, but no, I did mean it. I think it's a sin to bore people in church with the word of God. Should be a, that's a ministry sin, isn't it? Like, I mean, if you, people are coming to church every week and there's no excitement about the Word of God, that should be a sin. You know, I, I think that church should be enjoyed, and I don't think we enjoy it because we've got lights and whistles. I think we enjoy it because the presence of God is there, and there's a passion and there's an excitement about it. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Preaching is theology coming through a man on fire, and any man that is dispassionate about the preaching of the Word should not be allowed near a pulpit. I quite like that. Works for me. You should be passionate about this. Why? Because this is the greatest message that the world has ever heard. Okay, I think what we need next, exhortation. So we're exhorting people to praise God. You know, when we are in worship, there should be corporate worship. A, a point where we call people to praise God, to see Him. Didn't the team do such a great job this morning? I love it when we're led in worship and I can feel the presence of God in the place. There should be something that we can feel about the presence of God in that. Revelation 1 verses 12 to 13 says 
talks about seven lampstands. Those lampstands represent churches. Those lampstands represent sort of groups of churches or approach to church. And there Jesus is found in the midst of them. There is something that happens in corporate worship where the presence of God falls. And we do it every week because we enter into his courts with praise. Do you know the Bible says that he is enthroned on the praises of his people? And praise isn't a fast song, but boy, it helps me get there. Because I see him and I listen to him and I'm, I am absolutely unapologetically caught up in the experience of worship and I love it. And I don't want to be, and I don't want to shy away from that. I love being caught up in the experience of worshiping God. You know, I see people at the football, they get caught up. No one has an issue with that. You get excited about God. I think he's just a little bit better than the football. I know I said it, all right? You may never hear that again, but I said it because he is. He's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to people on planet Earth. All right, next one. There needs to be teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have. There should be discipleship in a church. There should be discipleship. There should be intentionality about relationships and catching up and helping people to grow the gift that is within them. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has placed things inside of you? I know. Some of you may not even know what that is. Maybe for some of you that comes as a surprise. But if we're able to find out what that is, it's the job of the church to help nurture that. We want to see you succeed in life. And some of those gifts are spiritual gifts. And then some of those gifts that you've got, they lend themselves to other things, maybe politics, maybe business. But whatever you have on you, we want to see that grow. We want to see that come to fruition. We want to teach you where the Word of God intersects with your life. Anybody that says that this book is outdated just hasn't read it properly because people are still people and God is still God. So you know what? Yeah, I read this thing and I think, oh my gosh, they have all the same problems we do. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. We're talking about people here. There should be some teaching about that. The next thing that you need is you need qualified leaders. It says that there was a council of elders. There should be systems. There should be structures. There should be leadership. The word elder is synonymous with a pastor, bishop, overseer, shepherd. Did you know that the word pastor, we use that word all the time. Do you know it's really only used once in the Bible? That's the one that we latched on to. Actually, the word that's more frequently used is shepherd. But I don't know, maybe people didn't want to feel like they were sheep. It's very popular in New Zealand, though. Imagine that. All right, that was bad. That was bad. It's all right, we can edit the podcast. So we need a council of elders. We, you know what? A, we need people that are qualified biblically to lead God's people. And... Paul, not being lax in his expectations, wrote about that. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, you can read about the qualifications for elders. You can read about their character, what they should have, the way that they should manage their life. That they should be, to a certain extent, extent scrutinized. Because you know what? There should be nothing in their life that's going to bring down the name of Jesus or the church. So we have a council of elders that are, that are appointed. I love what Romans chapter 12, verse 8 says. It says, those that lead. Who are the leaders of the church? Well, they're elders. They take shape in different forms. They're pastors, they're elders, and we use these terms and interchangeably. But really it says, those that lead, let them lead with zeal. There should be some passion. There should be some excitement about it. 
but there should be governance as well. There should be some kind of structure and order. And then finally, this is the last thing that Paul says. He says, so that all may see your progress. So how do you know if you're making progress? We're all headed somewhere. Every church is going somewhere. They get there every Sunday. God's people all over the world, every Sunday, they're progressing towards something. What are they progressing towards? If we want to know what we're progressing towards, we better have an idea about where we're going. And I call that vision. And I say that the church, it needs vision for where it's going and what it's doing. It needs vision. It needs to, and I think that every local church has something that's unique on them. That's why I never want to be like the church down the road. Why would I sell out for that? I just want to be who I am. And I want the church to be who they are so that we can be the church universally and not carbon copies of anyone else. I think we need to be who God's called and created us to be. There needs to be some uh, 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 ideas around where we're going and what we're doing. Do you know that because I've gone around a lot and seen a lot of churches recently, um, one of the things that I've noticed is that even though there are lots of churches that are very different, we need them all. And they do things that I wouldn't do, and we probably do things that they wouldn't do. But I can't stand there and say, the world doesn't need that church. Because Paul said, oh, no, 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 we need all churches. We need churches. I have so much more to say on this topic. I don't know if I can do it. I found there are five key ingredients to building a church. I'm going to do this at light speed. Are you ready? Because I need to. A church needs to be honest. There needs to be honesty. Proverbs 2 verse 21 says, For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. If you want a space where, peop- a space where people are going to gather and remain and be at peace and have good relationships, you need integrity. You need honesty. I think it's one of the building blocks of a community. Do you know that one of our values is to be authentic? Every person who stands here and has the privilege, and, the, and that's what I can see it as, and the opportunity to speak to anybody that's sitting in these seats, they need to be integrous. They need to be authentic. They need to be real. I don't think that the people that come to church are looking for the man of God that's unapproachable. I think they just want someone that's real. I think they want someone that's integrous. And you know, that goes for everybody that stands up here. We've made it so that if anybody is living two lives, you're one person up here and you get down and your personal life is completely different. Well, I don't think you really have the right to stand up here. And I'm not saying that people don't make mistakes. Of course, there's grace for that. But you can't be two people. You can be one repentant person that's working on stuff. You can't be two people. Do you understand the difference? There needs to be some honesty. Number two, there needs to be humility. James chapter four and verse six says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God in my life. And if the church needs God's grace, which by the way, if you haven't figured it out, we absolutely do, that we need to be humble before God. And at the right time, He exalts people. But there needs to be an air of humility in the way that we speak about ourselves, the way that we conduct ourselves. That we should be humble before God. 
Number three, there needs to be courtesy shown between people. Titus chapter three and verse two says, be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, I have never met a church leader or a church that was perfect, never. In fact, every church, no, no church is perfect. Do you know why? It's made up of imperfect people that God still uses to accomplish His purpose on planet Earth. But you know what? If there is some courtesy, if we do these things, avoid quarreling, be gentle, you know, be respectful in the way that you speak to people. Let's remember that people aren't perfect. Let's watch what we say. Let's watch the words that come out of our mouth. I think that that helps to develop a good community. One of our core uh, uh, team values is that we begin with trust. If I hear something, I'm going to begin with trust. I'm not going to entertain that rumor that I heard. I begin with trust. I want to believe the best about people. And so I think that's something we do as a church. Number four, you need commitment. Acts 2 verse 40 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they devoted themselves. No one can devote you. That's what you do. You devote you. And the way that God responds to a church community that is devoted to each other and to Him is outrageous. If you read what happens after these verses, it is signs, miracles, wonders, God adding to the church day by day those that are being saved. But it's because they were devoted. They weren't lax. They were devoted to it. They were passionate about the church. They believed in what they were doing. They sold their possessions and they said, come on, let's not have any poor among us. Let's do everything that we can to build the church. They were devoted to it. No one can do that for you. That's something that you bring. That's something that you have. And the last one is one that I confused often for many years for commitment, and it's called frequency. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You know, sometimes it's a habit to miss church. You sort of neglect it for one week, but that neglect becomes a habit. The global average for the Western church is that really we show up one out of two weeks, 50% attendance in, for most of the church in the Western world. We're here half the time. But if you want good relationships and good community, you need frequency. You need people to come and be there together regularly. You know how many people I've spoken to that have said to me, I'm so glad I came to church today because they were encouraged. The world is so discouraging. When people come to church, I love to see people get stirred up, get excited. You know, something happens when you gather together with God's people. So here are two good reasons to be frequent in church. Number one, someone's going to stir you up and not in the bad way. Someone's going to stir you up. Someone's going to stir you up. Have you ever had a bad week? You know, when you've had a really bad week, sometimes the last thing you want to do is go to be in a room full of people at church, you know, best thing you could ever do. So much about this life is counterintuitive. When you're having an average day, you praise. If you're having an average week, come to church. Get stirred up. That's one of the good reasons why you should be frequent. The second reason is, and this is the one that I think so many people miss, come and stir someone else. Yes. Come stir someone else. If church for you is about what everyone else is doing for you, you may have missed what your role is. 
you may have missed what the church is about. You come and give words of affirmation. Bring something to give away. You want great worship experiences? Come full of the Word of God. Come hungry for the Word of God. And when we get into this space and we're devoted and we're passionate about God, you watch Him lift the roof off. Come and bring something to give away. I think that these are great reasons why people should be in church. So let me ask these questions. Next one, guys. Here we go. Do you have to be a Christian to go to church? You know, every time I have to use the word technically, I feel like I'm lying. So technically, no, I guess not. Technically, do you have to be a Christian to go to church? No, but I don't have to go home to be a husband. We all know how that might turn out. I mean, technically, I've signed the paperwork, right? I'm a husband. In the eyes of the courts in the state of Victoria, I could be a husband and never see my wife and never see my children. Are you a husband? Yes, technically, I am. But how many of us understand that this is more than a technicality? And why are we trying to get away with not actually having relationship? To me, I I, I don't know, maybe you see a different... This is what I read when I see this. I think, you know what? Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I don't know, but it's not going to help if you don't. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I don't know. What What does it really mean to be a Christian to you? Does it mean that you just believe in God? Let me let me freak you out for a minute. The devil believes in God. He's a believer. So what's a Christian? Well, Christian is a Christ follower. There's a difference between believing and following. If I want to be a little Christ, which is what Christian means, if I want to be a follower, then I'm a disciple of His. If I'm a disciple of His, I do what He says. What does He say? He says, go to church. That's what He says. I'm not saying that. That's what He says. So if I'm going to be a follower, I guess I kind of got to go to church. You know, these days I see a lot of people wearing active wear just for fun. Doesn't make you a gym junkie. You can wear the skins every day. You're not losing that fat. You're not. You got to get in there. You got to give it a go. That's what I'm saying. You could say I'm a believer, but okay, fine. Wear your active wear. But hey, how about coming and making a difference? That's what the Bible says. Have you ever seen anybody fulfill their calling in isolation? Not anyone. So do you have to be a Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I don't know, maybe technically no, but come on, what are you trying to get away with here? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Do you have to be connected? Well, I've seen that. Try this when you go home. Cut off your little finger, put it over on the table, see how long it lives without being connected to the body. Because it's my experience that people that get disconnected and disenfranchised, their values shift and change and they end up not living the life that they're supposed to. So, yeah, I would say you've got to be connected. This is a direct question. Is it okay to have a few friends? Yeah, absolutely. Come on. How many people can you honestly be friends with? That's why small groups are important. Have you ever gone to a party and when you get there, you don't know anyone and you're sort of looking around and you feel a bit awkward and then you get out your phone and you go on Facebook. But 
Here's a better idea. Yeah. Here's a better idea. Join a small group so that when you get to church, you see your friends because they're frequent. They say, hi, high five each other, sit together in a group and do, do fun, do, do relationship together, do life together. I think that that's a good. Hey, is this good stuff? I feel like this is a great idea. Just, just, just Paul's idea on church. This is just how I think church should be done. This is what Rick Warren says. He says, I love the church of Jesus Christ with all my heart. Despite all its faults due to our sinfulness, it has still been the most magnificent concept ever created. It has been God's chosen instrument of blessing for 2,000 years. It has survived persistent abuse, horrifying persecution, and widespread neglect. Parachurch organizations and other Christian groups will come and go, but the church will last for eternity. It is worth giving our lives for, and it deserves our best. I absolutely stand with Rick Warren when he says that. You know why? Because I believe in the church. You know, the church is Jesus' bride. It's His bride. He's married to the church. He says that on purpose to communicate it. Revelation 21 verse 9 says, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Jesus is madly in love with His church. Madly in love. They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And sometimes people have seen the ugliness of some churches or communities or whatever. You know what Jesus says? He goes, oh, you're so beautiful to me. I love you. I love you. He is madly in love with the church to the point that he would lay down his life, Ephesians 5.25. Lay down his life for who? His bride, which is the church. See, Jesus loves the church. I remember when I got married, you know. When I got married, every time a bill came in for that ceremony or whatever it is, for that day, it was thousands of dollars. I said, this costs me so much money. I can't believe it. Cost us, babe. Cost us, babe. So much money. It costs us so much money. In fact, I think you tipped in more. It costs us so much money. You know, when I saw things coming in in hundreds, I celebrated. I thought, this is awesome. You know where the real cost was? It was after the day. Because the day celebrates what? 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars? I don't know. But after that day, I give the rest of my life, what, my life to my bride. And that is a more costly decision. Everything I have, I give to you. What I have, I share with you. I give you completely myself for yourself. I'm completely committed to you. You know, when I, when I've, I said, shared this part the other night at Heart and Soul. When, when I came on staff to be at church, people talked to me about the cost. You know, look, the reality is it meant that I got paid less. And they said, oh boy, you're really sacrificing a lot you would have to sit down and convince me where the sacrifice was. Because you know what I said? I said, I, hit the, I won the lottery. This is the best job on planet earth. I love this. You know, Paul says that if you want to be a pastor, it's a noble thing. You actually desire a noble thing. It's a noble thing. I thought, I've won the lottery. And then they asked me to be the senior pastor. I said, how many people get to win the lottery twice? Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so blessed. I can't believe it. Do you know why? Because I see the purpose of the church. I see what the church is able to do. And I am unapologetically passionate about the church. I love the church. It's full of my people. It's full of my friends. It's full of my family. And I see what it's able to do. I see the difference that it makes in people's lives. Do you know that Jesus said, I will build my church? Oh man, so often we think we're trying to convince Him. Come on, Jesus, would you just build your church? Uh, uh, uh. Did you read what He said? He said, I'm gonna build it. Do you know why He doesn't need to be convinced? Because the church is God's plan for humanity. It's hope to people that need hope. 
When people want to find Jesus, they knock on the doors of a church and they say, I want to see if God is in this place. It's hope for people that need hope. When I see what the church is able to do, I get excited about it. it do you know that the, the church is God's chosen instrument to completely change society? Nothing else. Did you know He didn't have plan B? Trains guys for three years. You're it. How's this gonna work? I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. He's gonna help you. Peter has the revelation all of a sudden that Jesus is Christ. Then Jesus says to him, okay, on that rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you keys to the kingdom. Who unlocks the kingdom for people in our culture and society? The church. The church have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's the authority that's been given. A thousand years from now, Microsoft will not exist, but the church will. The church will still exist. It's God's message of grace to people. It meets the deepest needs of humanity. It touches people in a way that nothing else can actually touch them. It is the only organisation on the planet that solely exists to seek and save that which is lost to Him. And we should be a little bit passionate about that. That's what the church exists for. Our, church is, our, our mission is to build the church through people who are saved, free, equipped and sent. It's the process of every believer. That's what we want to see happen. And the Holy Spirit says, if you give your life to this cause, if you lay your life down. Okay, we got a heart for the house offering next week. I ask you for so much more than that. Lay down your life. Lay down your life. Give God your talents, your abilities. Give Him everything. I mean, money, what? who cares? We've got a job to do. We've got people's lives that are in the balance. And I said this at heart and soul, and I couldn't help but get emotional about it. But it makes my heart beat fast when people, when I'm standing here and I see people say, I want to give my life to Jesus. That makes my heart beat fast. It's like my heart is pounding out of my chest because I see someone moving from death to life. When I get an email that says, my marriage is doing better, thank you. When someone says, I never understood that. I, I found Jesus in this place. There is something about that that makes my heart beat fast. I can't help it. And I don't think I'm alone. I think I'm speaking to a, to a group of people that stand with me and say, that's what our hearts are for. We want to see the church do great and mighty things. Let's stand together. Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.